HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. With Shift Work, a podcast made in collaboration with RWCF and HRN, we're shifting the conversation about how the restaurant food you love makes its way to the table. Listen to and follow Shift Work on your favorite podcast app. Welcome back to Processing, a show about the intersection of food and grief. With your hosts, me, Zara Tangora, and my adorable mother, Bobby Conforto, who is not joining us for the intro, but is very much going to be a part of this very special episode. Folks, you may have noticed we've been on a break and we just want to thank you for your patience and love and enduring support. Um, We kind of go into detail about the reasons for taking an extended winter break. Um, And we are also super psyched to be back. Um, Hello. How is everybody? It's winter time. We know it's hard. It's also quite nice. Actually, right now as I'm recording this, I'm looking out my window and there's like a light snow going on and uh, it's very pretty and beautiful. But also, you know, the winter, you know, seasonal depression, the winter blues, these things are very real um, and it's cold. And uh, we hope that you're all doing what you can to kind of stay warm and get through uh, the winter time. So today... For our welcome back episode, we talk to each other, Bobby and I, um, a lot about my dad, John, who the anniversary of his passing four years was um, February 1st. Uh, He passed right February 1st, 2018. And so we kind of took the opportunity in this uh, welcome back episode to talk about him and some who he was holistically as a person, which was like most people not all the way good and not all the way bad. Um, Very complicated, interesting, very cool human being and a fabulous cook. And it was nice to talk about some of the things that really reminded me of him through his cooking. And we reminisced about cookbooks and about uh, my dad and my mom's business that they had together, food business um, in the 1970s called the Love and Oven before they eventually, you know, divorced and moved on to different careers. But, um, it's an, it was an interesting one and it was an emotional one, but a good way uh, for me of kind of dealing with the complicated feelings that come along with an anniversary. And I say complicated because some of them are really fun and nice and pleasant and it feels good to remember him and some of it is really hard still. So without further ado, we will present to you a mother and daughter conversation about, uh, yeah, about my dad, John. And thank you guys all for for tuning back in. And as always, if you have um, 
a desire to be a guest on the show, we'd love to have you. So the best way to reach us is via DM on Instagram. Um, we are processing underscore podcast. Of course, you can send us an email at processing at heritageradionetwork.org. Um, and we'd love to hear from you. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. It helps us grow the show and reach more people and build this community around food and grief. Okay, that's it for me, I promise, this time. Uh, enjoy and take care of yourselves and each other. Okay, bye. Hi, Zara. Oh my goodness, Bobby. Hello. How art thou? Welcome back. Welcome back to Processing, a show about the intersection of food and grief, which we can't say it enough times. Folks, this is where food meets grief and mother meets daughter via mm -hmm. the computer. <laughs> Although I'm going to see you later in, in the flesh. That's right. I'm really looking forward to that. I know. That'll be nice. You know, we haven't gotten to spend... We were just chatting with our producer, Armin, right before the show about how, because of, you know, the way that COVID has gone this winter, we actually haven't gotten to spend a lot of time together. And I really haven't spent any time with anyone because I'm working, doing the Zaza pop-up, and uh, I'm really trying to stay healthy. But it's, I'm mentioning this because, as I'm sure it might feel this way for some of our listeners, uh, it's it's exhausting. I'm finding myself hitting a bit of an emotional wall with it. With uh, the pandemic? Yes, the pandemic. Yeah. Ever heard yeah. of it? Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's hard. I mean, and it's, um, it's uh, almost too obvious to say, right? And it's like a little generic, just like, God, I'm so over this. It's so hard. But, you know, I think we like go through waves of acclimating and you can apply this to, I think, any situation where you're experience, experiencing grief or discomfort. You know, you you have to acclimate to it and you have to, you right. find ways to survive it and to even find little pockets of joy within it. But then sometimes there's those days where you're like, whoa, my, my old life is gone. That's yeah. shitty, you know? And my old sense of predictability and... Um is gone too, you know, knowing what to expect next or, you know, knowing that one thing will just follow the next naturally. It doesn't work that way here. We had to really make adjustments and adaptations and it really brings a lot. It does bring a lot of grief. I realized today I haven't spent time with friends in almost three months. Yeah. Like I haven't done a single thing where I've saw my friends. I mean, I work with my two coworkers who are my, you know, good friends, but they're almost like my brothers. So in some sense, I hate them. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I'm just kidding. I love them. But you know, like real time with friends, like it's hard. Um, it's really hard. So I'm just kind of in that space, just wrapping my head around that and ho hoping that it ends soon. And then it's the interesting thing about that though, that I was also thinking about, and I talk about this a lot with a friend of mine who's in like a really uh, unchanged, seemingly unchanging situation, caring for a sick parent for a long time now. And like that you think about like, who am I going to be when this is like, not that it's ever over, but when it actually changes, you know what I mean? It's weird. Yes. Cause that person, like for myself, who used to be super social and go out all the time and like was always at restaurants and out doing things like I'm probably never going to really be that person again. And then just like ended like that with a snap of a finger. And it's very strange. Well, you had made a comment this week in one of your posts about 
how things that affect us and, and grief affects us changes us permanently. Mm. It doesn't mean that we don't change in the grief, but that we are permanently changed. And I think what you're saying is that the pandemic has affected us all. It's not we're just going to get over it and it's going to be we're back. We'll never be back. We'll never be the same people ever. You know, we're changed by what happens to us in life. Yeah, I'm just personally feeling very like lonely as a single person too. Like, and it's funny though, because it is the old cliche of like the grass is greener. You know, I'm always like, oh, I'm, I've been single through this and it's hard and it's lonely. But then I'm like, I kind of think about, you know, people who are like in, in with their families or with partners and butting heads. And I'm like, I think about how grateful I am for my space. You know what I mean? So I think there's just, everything has a reward and a consequence and nothing is perfect. So exactly. I've also felt extremely lucky to have, you know, autonomy and space through this whole thing. But I'm just, I think I'm just feeling a little restless to say the emotional. Sorry, you're feeling lonely. I want to give you a big hug right now. And hopefully in the next day, I'll be, but I could be diseased. Hug. <laughs> <laughs> um, so today guys, first of all, we wanted to say, uh, I don't know if anyone noticed, hopefully you did. We've been gone for a little bit, um, for multiple reasons. The first reason is, and none of them are personal to you guys. We love you. <laughs> uh, the first reason is just that with the holidays, with the, you know, HRN always takes, uh, like a two or three week break during the holiday season. And, uh, as I briefly mentioned before, I um, I run a wintertime pop-up, an Italian-American food pop-up, which is truly all-consuming. It really takes a lot of my mental and physical energy and time. And uh, we launched it in the beginning of December. So I just felt like I could really use the extra time to kind of just get it into more of a cycle where everything was kind of, you know, running a little bit more on autopilot. Um and just need it all the time I could, because actually Friday when we record this podcast also happens to be our big day for Zaza. So that was the personal reason. And then, um, you know, I think it's always like a good thing to step back from something you're working on. Like I paint and sometimes when I get to a place with a painting, I like to just go away from it for a couple of days and just walk by it, look at it. And I think that's what Bobby and I wanted to do with the show too, just to like look at it, listen to old episodes, think about, you know, different kind of guests we want to talk to coming up and uh, different things we can do with the show. And also just like, sometimes I think just taking the time away from something makes you appreciate coming back to it. So that's. Absolutely. Well, I am very appreciative to be here sitting, looking at you on the screen and knowing that we're, our, our listeners are, are hearing us and the things that we've been thinking about. I've actually been listening to more podcasts, which isn't something that I normally do. What have you been listening and, to? Um, I've been listening to a lot of uh, actually a, it's called sounds true, but what it is is a lot of professionals in the field mm. um, talking about different aspects of trauma and grief. And I really enjoyed being on the other end listening. Yeah, That's so, a really great thing. Being a listener yeah. is awesome. Yes. That's great. I've been listening to a lot of true crime podcasts. I'm sorry, but <laughs> you've always enjoyed that, but it's true. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think that's awesome. It's always great to like, listen to what other people are doing in your same fields and, you know, check out, different perspectives on, on a similar topic and how everyone decides to approach it. I mean, I feel that way with food. I love going to restaurants and I love uh, eating other people's delicious food and seeing what everyone else is doing. And it's good. It's so exactly. good to do that. Yeah. And as a professional, I would always go to conferences um, at least once or twice a year. I mean, big conferences that mm -hmm. I, where there would be literally, you know, 20 to 30 different 
uh, professionals in the field, experts in the field that I would listen to. And it was so, it was like a transfusion. It mm. was like an input of um, energy and excitement and new ideas. And then they stopped with the pandemic. So I really have had to find new ways to feed myself and nurture myself as a professional. Can you imagine a time? I mean, that's kind of what I'm talking about with the change of the pandemic when we just so like carelessly walked into a building and had thousands of people breathing all over us and hugging us and shaking our hands. And I don't say that as though that's a bad thing. I miss that. It feels so sad that like we just used to kind of be able to be, I hope we get back to that because, you know, we need people to breathe on us, strangers. (laughs) It's important. That makes us human. That's right. You know, but it's not safe necessarily for people to breathe on you right now. So don't get the wrong idea, folks. I'm not trying to spread any kind of misinformation or uh, fake news here. I'm just saying I miss, I miss the humanity. So we've had an interesting month, Zara. Have we? Uh, January is a big month. It's my birthday and your birthday. That's true. We have two January birthdays. Yeah. And, um, as you know, I find birthdays very interesting and kind of profound. I take them seriously. You do. This was a really big birthday for me. I I turned 35. I know. Congratulations. (laughs) How does it feel? Ah, you don't look my day over 34. It's my half-life, folks. <laughs> um, I had a big birthday this year, and I, I, it's taken me weeks, literally, of adjustment to the fact that I turned 70. I'm, I'm really, and it's not that I'm, uh, I'm not bemoaning it. I'm so grateful to be 70 and to have come this far, but it's a very interesting age, and I have, I've, um, you know, deeply been traveling in that. Uh, concept of mortality and what my life is worth and what I've done with it and what I want to do with it and, um, you know, ways that I want to be the, the best that I can be. So it's been a very interesting month for me. And then it was your birthday. Was it? I barely remember. <laughs> I worked. It was a hard one. I yeah. mopped floors. I cooked lasagna. I came home and ate tater tots. <laughs> it was not a very big birthday for me, but that's fine. Because I've had a lot of other nice birthdays in the past. So, but yeah. Well, for me, for me, your birthday is always um, profound and monumental because I am so grateful. I always think back to the beginning and I, um, I'm just so grateful every year for your existence and your, your unbelievable wealth that you bring to my life and to other people's lives. So I always honor that day. Oh, January 26th. And we're going to get a chance to celebrate it a little bit this weekend. You're coming out. We are. Uh, yes. We're going to slurp pasta together, which sounds yeah. fun to me. I'm excited. Yes. I can't wait. Um, and then, you know, it's funny because, well, I don't know actually if funny is the right word. <laughs> it's actually kind of sad because my dad um, passed away a couple of days after my birthday in 2018. So his, the anniversary of his death is February 1st. And, um, I don't know. It's interesting. Like I feel sometimes very connected to anniversaries of things and I certainly remember them and they're definitely trail markers. I know when it comes up to be February, uh, December 3rd, which is like the, when I got in a near death accident, I think about it pretty strongly every year, but similarly to like a birthday for me, like I don't necessarily have intense feelings on that day. Sometimes I do. And sometimes I don't, this is just personal to me. I know that anniversaries can be so important and difficult and wonderful and so different for everybody. But my personal experience is that 
I find myself having a myriad of intense feelings all the time, (laughs) every day of my life. So I don't know that like the anniversary of my dad's death was particularly triggering or upsetting for me this year. Of course, I thought of him um, and I miss him very much, but it is a weird time of year. You know what I mean? It's an intense time of year for me personally, because, you know, a birthday and a death day. And uh, then, of course, Groundhog's Day, the following day, which is always (laughs) very suspenseful. (laughs) Well, you know, working with bereaved people every day um, is always a discussion of what the anniversary of the death date means to Mm. them and to different people. It means different things. There's many people that call their angel day, mm. certainly bereaved parents tend to call it that. Yeah, of course. Um, I always tell the story about how when I worked in the 9-11 project that I did, where all the people that I work with, which were at least 100 people, all had the same day and the same moment of the anniversary of the death. And so it was very interesting to see, yeah. I've mentioned this on the show before, how different people um, honor that day in a different way. Yeah, absolutely. And how some people go to sleep and put the pillow over their head and just want to wake up the next day. Yeah, and that's okay yeah. too, you know. Yes, absolutely. Because it's so hard, and sometimes all we can do when there's such pain, like in the moment, and maybe there's, you know, different levels of processing it afterwards. But it's just like kind of it's so overwhelming. You need to you feel like you need to hide from it, and that's okay. You know what I mean? There's no yes. right or wrong way to deal with an anniversary of a passing of a loved one. You know, it just depends where you're personally at and people are so different at how they process things. And it was such, such an interesting thing to see how everybody wanted to do that in a different way. Um, You know, there's some people that create things on that day. You know, it's not necessarily a sad day. It's a day of um, memorial and creation. Right. And I think the thing to remember Um, so I, you have been asking me to read an Instagram post or a short essay that I wrote about dad and I'll, I'll read it in a minute, but there's an interesting thing to remember. And I mentioned it in the thing that I wrote about, like, there are some things in life that are fixed, but you can, and that is, um, a definite and a certain, however, you can learn to adapt and dress like quote dress for it. Right. So I'll read it and it'll make more sense. But um, and I guess what I mean by, by saying that is that like, if the anniversary of someone's death was one way, one year and paralyzing and, uh, just absolutely heartbreaking and you're unable to get out of bed, it doesn't mean it always has to be that way. Maybe you feel differently absolutely. next year and maybe you don't, but like, you know, you can allow yourself to know that like, well, your grief might never go away and that's not a bad thing. The way you, how your relationship with it can change and you can leave space for that if you want to. That's always a, a blessing when you can say that to yourself. I, I know that everything changes, you know, and so that's always important to remember that. You know, one of the ways that I put it, um, a couple of different ways, one is what is the projection in our mind? What do we project in our mind? Mm. Um, what is the picture that we focus on? So we obviously have some choice over that, you know, what we focus on. Right. What do we put the spotlight on? So we can put the spotlight on an anniversary date we can put the spotlight on all the things that we remember about the death and the the pain of it. And we can put our spotlight on the the essence of who that person was. So we sometimes, you know, have choices of what we highlight or focus on or put the spotlight on in our mind and our mind's eye. Yeah. And sometimes it's too hard to, sometimes you're just not there yet where you even have yep. that level of discernment, you know, and that comes with like, like anything else, muscle building and practice mm-hmm. and, you know, time. 
it's not always that easy. And like, also, I mean, some years you might have like a, you know, it could be year two and you're like feeling good and you're feeling empowered. It could be year 17 and you're like devastated. Exactly. It's not linear. You know what I mean? There's Amen. like, it's yep. just, and allow yourself the space for that. So right. I felt like for some reason prickly about reading this because it felt narcissistic. And also I wrote it as kind of a quick Instagram post. Um, but Bobby and actually a couple other people were like, you should read this on the podcast. So I'm going to read just a quick thing I wrote about my dad, because actually the show today, um, basically we wanted to talk about is my dad, John Tangora, who was this really complicated and strange person and also very creative and funny and cool. And, you know, just, um, a really interesting guy and a really important person in my life. And especially talking about the relationship between and the intersection of food and grief. I mean, you know, I, I don't know how, I mean, that's why we started the show really. Like I was prompted to want to start it after my dad died. And, um, yeah, I think uh, anyway, so, okay. So, <laughs> um, so I wrote the other day and I got, excuse me if this is corny, but I'm just listening to what my mom told me to do because that's what you have to do, right? <laughs> um, I got the call four years ago today that my dad died in the night, succumbing to cancer after a long, hard fight. I wasn't surprised to get this phone call, and also I was shocked. Like a scene from a movie where someone is trying to hold on to someone else who is dangling from a cliff. You see their fingers slip one by one, and then into the void they go, and you scream, no, and you're glad you didn't get pulled down to, or did you, or are you, and what now? My father, John, was a very complicated man. Right after he passed, he was a hero. Some months later, I remembered he was an asshole, and now I've come to terms with the fact that he was just a person, a strange and complex man that I loved very much with all my heart and still cry every time I order a Manhattan and many other times too. I look in the mirror when I'm upset and I see his scowl. I hear him in my laugh. I try to make pea soup like he did, but Bobby said mine is better and I think that he would be proud of that. When my dad first died, I didn't quite know what to do because no one does. They asked if I wanted to see the body at the hospital and I did not because to me, he was my dad, the one who brought me a corsage at school every birthday and taught me to make his famous chocolate chip cookies. And to them, he was just the body, and that's okay. That's the way it needs to be. But it was the first sign that this is going to be an experience that is very alienating. I made a lasagna and meatballs and garlic bread for his memorial a few days later, and only three people came because it was the Super Bowl. In the following weeks, I howled and cried and didn't get out of bed till 5 p.m. and didn't eat and smoked as many cigarettes as I could in a day's time. I told my friends to forget about me. I thought perhaps I should die too. And then one day the sun was shining, so I went outside to sit in it. And the next day I ate something and enjoyed it. And then, and then, and now. I've learned in the past four years that grief is good if you allow it to be. It's not meant to be exterminated. It is totally unique and also universal. It is jumping into icy cold water. It is walking over hot coals. It's a dinner table where you laugh and remember the good times. It is a pillow soaked in tears. It's how you continue the relationship. I've come to think of our grief as our height. We can prop ourselves up in four-inch heels or slouch or stand on our knees, but when you lay down at night, it is unchangeably a part of you. It is fixed, and while you can't change that, you can certainly learn to dress for it. I miss you, Johnny T-Bone, and I talk, to, I talk to every bird I see with a streak of red feathers. I think of you all the time. I tell people, 
this was my dad's recipe. And I'm sorry I let your hands slip through mine, but I know that you don't blame me because hands are meant to be held, but also to be let go of and sometimes both. And maybe that's the goal. Ah, so universal letting go of a breath. That was very, very beautifully and well said. Thank you. It was a wonderful description of grief, Sarah, really. Thanks very much. It was very quick. I just wrote that in a couple of minutes, but, um, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, it was just what I wanted to kind of say about my dad. Dads are strange and so are people. And that was kind of just a little glimmer of what I thought of him. Well, it led me to think a lot about your dad. You know, we were married for 24 years and, um, I always tell people ask me, you know, what was that like to have been married and divorced? And I say, it was a, it was a different chapter of my life and a very, very rich and special chapter of my life. And um, not only was I married to your dad, but we had a business together. As some of our listeners know, we had a business called Love and Oven. And it was so much a part of what our marriage was about, because like yourself, Sarah, we worked night and day. We worked really, really hard. We made so much food. And one of the ways that I think of your dad is as, as a chef and baker. And he was amazing. He was, I wish you could have seen him. You're so much like him too, you know, not only in your talent, but in your hard work, he was the hardest worker. Anyone would have loved to have had, had him in the kitchen because <laughs> to work with as a, as a colleague, because he was such a hard worker. He really, he just he never stopped. Too. And, and he was very talented. Sometimes people in kitchens can be hard, very hardworking, but maybe not as talented. Like yeah. He was, you know, and one thing I remembered, I actually t- took the opportunity this morning to look through all my um, say, things that I save special, and I found all these menus from Love and Oven. Our business was called Love and Oven Edible Productions. And um, I looked up a lot of the menus, and when I looked at them, I could picture your dad really baking all these things and cooking all these things. I don't even know if you've seen these menus, but I thought I might, you know, tell our listeners and yeah, read them. some of the things that dad made. I do. Oh my gosh, how cool. So, and I'm, when you come this weekend, I want to show you some of these menus. I can't they're wait. They're really wild. That's so awesome. You know, one of the things about your dad and I is that, like yourself, we were very um, creative and innovative. And this was the time, this was, we opened Love and Oven in, in um, I believe, September of 1976. And at that time, I mean, people didn't even talk about quiche. That's what I always tell people, that you two famously popularized quiche in Long Island. Yes. <laughs> we did. And nobody... And we had the most amazing array of international foods. You know, neither one of us had gotten to travel much. And we probably would have been amazing being able to travel around Europe and the world. So we traveled through our cuisine. Mm. And we used to call it try a piece of the world's cuisine. (laughs) That's so cute and so 70s and so awesome. (laughs) And talk about cookbooks. I know how you love, love, love cookbooks. And your dad, and you've often talked about um, you have some of his cookbooks that are still covered and splattered in every possible dough. I <laughs> right have in front this of one, one right now. I'm holding up a cookbook that I actually, it's Maida Hayda's, one of her dessert cookbooks. And I, I'll, I'll read some of the recipes, but I brought it out so I could highlight some of the recipes that are most covered in old cake batter. Good. And I'm sure the ones I'm going to talk about, because your dad loved cookbooks and he could, not that he needed a cookbook, he would use it as both of us do as input, a stimulus. Like yeah, I was talking I about the workshop. but I love, yeah. I love cookbooks. 
it's stimulating because, you know, we're not inventing the wheel. There's been other yeah. creative people like us who are interested in combining foods like a, like a sorcerer, you know, just, yeah. you know, mixing together <laughs> different ingredients. So these are some of the things that I found on these menus. Um, and by the way, I found these from not just menus, but newspaper articles. We were in the New York Times. We were um, reviewed by Florence Fabricant, so uh, awesome. Newsday. We were reviewed by Barbara Rader, who was um, a famous food reviewer then. And we were in Gourmet Magazine. Um, so awesome, Bobby. Uh, so it was, so these, these are some of the things. And every one of them, I can picture your dad making them. So he made Anadama bread. What's that? Well, Anadama bread is like a southern... Um, I think it has kind of a molassesy, you know, it's a bread that you'd eat um, with a sandwich, but it has a sweet, a lovely sweet taste to it. Russian black bread. Oh, do I remember he would put, um, you know, black molasses in there and also cocoa and raisins. And it was a delicious, crusty. What's that? Coriander seeds, maybe. I don't don't know, but it was Russian black bread with raisins. You find that a lot in Russian breads. Um, Cracked wheat bread. The famous gougere, which we talk about all the time. He made tons of gougere. Portuguese sweet bread was another bread. He'd make that over the holidays with eggs in it, but it would be another bread, like a big, puffy, golden round. He'd put it in a mold and a delicious, sweet, um, thick bread. Wonderful bread. Um, Brioches popping over French onion bread. Zucchini bread. What's a French onion bread? I'm picturing it like caramelized, like French onion soup, but in bread form. Yeah. (gasps) Yeah. Fabulous. I'm going to try to make that immediately. Delicious. Absolutely delicious. Crusty, crusty bread. And he would, I mean, he would, he has, you know, huge, wonderful Hobart mixer. And um, uh, I don't remember how many quarts it was, but just watching him with just the masses of dough and kneading and bread and. Um, and then the famous sticky buns. Now you've, I think you've talked about them before. We used to make them sticky buns. Sticky buns was something that he would make on Sundays. Our store was open seven days a week. So he'd make them on Sundays. And in the beginning, his father would come and help because he's, his father was the one who originally made your grandfather made sticky buns. And the, the whole store would just fill up with the wonderful smell of cinnamon and you know, sticky buns were very Maybe we should make delicious. those for Sunday breakfast. Make a batch of sticky buns. Mm. Sounds good, right? Yeah. And then some of the des- desserts he made. Um, he made a Budapest coffee cake, mm. which is probably one of the pages in Maida Hayda's book. A chocolate nut tort was definitely in Maida Hayda's book. That was delicious. Um, and some of these things, like carrot cake, he would make into wedding cakes for like 200 people. Um, chocolate nut tort he made into wedding cakes. Raspberry nut tort, that was one of the most delicious. I've never seen it anywhere else, but it had... Like a dequa. Um, he made dequa. That wasn't the raspberry nut tort. Oh, the raspberry okay, nut tort what, what was, the was nut a tort? thick... It was almost like a chocolate nut tort, but it had raspberries. So it had ground nuts. Um, and it looked very simple. It only had powdered sugar on it, but it had such a rich taste inside. Mm. Of, probably it was raspberry preserves, I think. Yum. And then ground nuts... And um, not flour. Oh, wow. You know, so it was delicious. And just powdered sugar on top. And then um, Dacqua. I remember him spending hours making those layers. And, of course, you have to be very careful with Dacqua because um, you can't get it you know, wet. Yeah. And then he'd make a walnut roll. Those were excellent. Mm, I very love a thin, walnut roll. Delicious, delicious. So a very thin, um, made in a sheet pan. Right, like a you know, walnut layer sponge cake. Of walnut and just egg whites. Yeah. Um, and then with fresh whipped cream inside. That's really delicious. 
That's and really then, delicious. Um, Kentucky bourbon pound cake. Oh wait, I think that's one of the, <laughs> the one of the recipes in here that's covered in cake batter. Kentucky. Okay, keep going. Hang on, I'll tell you. I'm gonna look right now. You know what's in here in the book and Maida Hayda's book that's covered in cake batter the most? There's the Palm Beach chocolate tube cake. Do you remember that? Right. I don't know what that is. Actually, exactly. not that much, but I guess, you know, you have to remember, we had love and oven for 12 Kentucky years. Kentucky pound now. cake. Is that what you just Kentucky said? Kentucky pound cake. Yep. That's the one yep. that's covered the most in <laughs> black and white pound cake. But those are the two that are really covered. And chocolate roll is really covered in... Yep. Um, guys, I'm going to put a pi- post a picture of like what I'm talking about of covered in, but think about a, <laughs> dough, think about a 40 year old cookbook air. that's literally covered in old 30 years later, the best that's like crusted there. on the pages, but the pages that have the most cake batter on them are the ones that, you know, are the most popular recipes. It's really, oh my God, that's so funny. So I want to tell our listeners, Love and Oven was a, a wonderful, wonderful place. I mean, you could walk in the door. And it was a small shop in the middle of a, a kind of suburban community, a little outside the town of Huntington. And you could walk in and it was abundance of food. I mean, I'm not talking about one little, you know, um, Budapest coffee cake. There was a big, just out of the oven. Yeah. And you'd walk oh. in and you just, the bread's just out of the oven on racks, you know. And But it was everything. It wasn't just a bakery. Because then there was all the foods. Now, I did a lot of the cooking, and I yeah. made a lot of entrees and hors d'oeuvres. But your dad also was a wonderful um, chef, and he used to make pocket pies. Yeah. always have a little joke about that. He made empanadas, you know, with the the dough had a chili in it in the dough. Oh, yummy. And then inside was this wonderful meat and raisin oh, filling. He had empanadas. a great way with sweet and sour. I'm sorry, I just want to he quickly did. interrupt did. and say yes. this is the most crusty recipe. It's Look at this. Bobby. <laughs> what it's is it? Queen Mother's Cake. Right, which I believe is the chocolate tort. It's like, yeah, it, it's definitely chocolate. Yeah, chocolate it is nuts. a chocolate yeah. tort. Because yeah. there's no that flour was the in it. We made this into wedding cakes. I mean, you it's know, so crusty. for hundreds of people. It's a flourless yeah. chocolate cake. It looks fabulous. Okay, so I'm sorry. It's Go so on, empanadas. Empanadas, he made samosas. He really did have a great way with sweet and spicy. Yeah. Absolutely. The samosas, both vegetable curry and beef curry in there and Cornish pasties. Mm. And then there was the famous, which you have talked about before, Pizza Rustica. Mm, my God. And this was a family recipe from his dad. Um, and it was like a ritual making it. I mean, it was just, you know, wads of wonderful salamis and hams and ricotta cheese. And um, it didn't have mozzarella, it had provolone. Provolone, yeah. So folks, and, for anyone listening who doesn't know Pizza Rustica, it's traditionally an Easter pie. It's sometimes called Easter pie. And Every Italian family has a different version of it. You know, sometimes um, I've seen people who put hard-boiled eggs in it. Some people, two cubes of salami. But basically, the essence of what pizza rustica is, is ricotta cheese and, you know, pecorino or parmigiano, black pepper. You make them, and eggs. You make a mixture of that, right? So you have, like, a ricotta, custardy, cheesy thing. You have, like, a pizza kind of dough, that goes on the bottom. You spread your, you put provolone right on top of the dough layer, then your mixture, then ham and sliced ham, like prosciutto cotto, um, and then more provolone. You kind of like layer it. That's the, and then pizza crust. In a on homemade the top. bread dough. In a homemade bread dough. Yeah, homemade bread dough. And it was. Um, and you eaten, bake it and you eat it. 
Right. It's and amazing. you could either obviously have it as an entree for breakfast. It's the most delicious breakfast you would ever want to have. You could cut it up in little pieces for hors d'oeuvres. Oh, God, I need it now. I <laughs> made pizza Rusica one year at Brucey for Easter. Right. And two of my beloved friends who I love, who are uh, the sous chef and the one of the line cooks at the time, left them out overnight and didn't put them in the fridge. Oh my God, what a waste because it's expensive to so make. So expensive, so labor intensive. Oh, and oh. I was so upset. I was so <laughs> upset. I was like, how could you? And it was one of those things where like, you can't possibly translate to someone what that even means to you. You know what I mean? To them, it's like a mistake. And it is a mistake and mistakes happen. You know yeah, what I mean? In yeah. kitchens all the time. Yeah. But it was like one of those things where I'm like, but this is like my family tradition. <laughs> you know what I mean? They're like, it's just, right. what the fuck? And we don't even know what this is. But um, that, was a, that was a bad one. But, you know, we were, you know, any chef listening to this understands what it's like. You know, we were there in, in the love and oven at six o'clock in the morning. And already you could start by 6.15. There were smells coming out of there, mm. wonderful, you know, things that started to warm up because the ovens were on. And your dad would just every day, such a hard worker, like just pushing out that food. He could put out more food, you know. You know what thing I really liked that he, a recipe of his that I never had him make it, but you made it. You told me it was his recipe. So first of all, my dad never ate chicken or fish, but he definitely would like, <laughs> make things that had chicken right, right? good delicious uh, delicious right. so he would make um pigeon pie which is like oh exactly i forgot that yeah pigeon pie that's probably one of my favorite things of all time Pistia. Pistia. So delicious pie or oh Moroccan chicken. it's like delicious spiced like m- kind of like well a moroccan style moroccan chicken yeah. chicken pie and the thing about it that i think is so delicious he would make it with phyllo oh. or you made it with phyllo right yeah, I don't know if that's food. traditional. I don't think it is. But you put powdered sugar on the top, which yes. sounds wacky, but oh my God. So right, delicious. So it's, a, it's a nicely spiced, not highly spiced, like spicy, but flavorful, flavorful. So flavorful. Probably raisins, shredded chicken, raisins. cilantro. Yeah. 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 Cinnamon. Yeah. Um, and nuts and almonds. Curry. Yeah. Delicious. And almonds. Oh my God. Oh, I made it for your birthday one year. Yeah. That's one of my favorite things of all time. That's really, really you're right. Good. You're right. How he could do that. He didn't cook much fish. I must say he didn't cook fish. That's one thing. I yeah, he didn't make fish. But um, he could cook chicken with never having eaten it. You know, he really had a, a great talent. But your dad was highly creative. He wasn't just a good chef and baker. You know, he was, um, I used to say, a musicologist. When I first met him, he had every possible knowledge of every kind of music there yeah. was. He had like a savant like yeah. quality about music and also kind of food because truly like nobody yeah. ever t- really taught him about food. I mean, grandpa was an amazing Italian home cook. Yeah, but exactly. But right. like, you know what I mean? He just knew things. It was weird. Like yes. dad just knew things. Yeah. And I kind of feel. Well, he was an old soul. I feel in some ways I had inherited some of that from him, but yeah, music, he knew everything about music. I remember like my friends and I were sitting at Brucey. And he was up visiting and we we're talking about my friend Terrence was like leading a conversation about who we think like the best rapper is at the time. And everyone's like, say not like of all time, just like the current who's like kind of killing the game. And it was the year 2013 or something, 2012. And dad is just like, well, I kind of think like E40 
and who is just like this a kind of like no you know 65 year old white dude is going to be like talking about e40 and everyone like lost their shit and we're just like how do you know that he i was like he knows everything like he literally like my dad you could name some kind like uh an album of any kind particular blues or jazz but really anything folk some weird appellation banjo music oh world music and you could just be like tell him that artist or whatever and he would tell you every album they ever recorded in what year what the album covers look like what the back best track on the album was like it was awesome he was really amazing and art as well you know he was an art art. major he went back to school and became an art major he knew a lot about art he knew all about art too you know he, he really did you knew about politics. He was, had strong, strong feelings about politics. Yeah. I remember the last day, really, that he almost even said anything. Like, there was a State of the Union address on after I left the hospital. And I came back the next morning, and the nurses were like, he had to be restrained because they, like, <laughs> let him watch the Trump State of the Union. And he peed in the bed. He was so upset. And, like, oh. I asked, Dad, are you okay? And he just, like, looked at me, and he could barely talk. And he just, like pushed out the words Trump <laughs> so upset I was like god don't waste your energy on this guy you have like so little time left but um yeah he was very he was a lefty he wasn't just a liberal I mean he wasn't a liberal he was a lefty you know he was a socialist you know what he was a passionate about many many things and I think that's what we're talking about he was a passionate man yeah he was and really part cool. of that was frustrating for him you know mm. it was because he grew up in a family that didn't really accept that. He grew up in a time that didn't accept that. He felt like an outsider. You know, it was hard for him to hold all that. Yeah. He so, struggled a lot. He struggled with his yeah. weight a lot. Yeah. Um, he struggled with like mental, I think to an effect, like mental illness, you know? Yeah. Um, and he wasn't always like a really great, good person. And I don't know what I, I actually, I don't want to retract that. I don't really believe in good and bad people. There's like such yeah. a small fingernail of a, whole population of earth throughout time that's bad but like he was a it was difficult for him to be kind that's the sometimes. best way to put it that's a you know I, the way i like to say i agree there aren't good and bad people there are people that are locked up for different reasons you know really really locked up and i find myself having his same struggle with kindness sometimes i think like like dad i'm usually extremely kind I'm usually extremely friendly and accommodating from like a very genuine place, not from like any kind of like, oh, I'm going to turn this on and pretend to be a nice person today. I think I'm a genuinely nice person and benevolent. And I think I'm actually nicer than dad, but I do have like the same, I don't know, like a little fire that sometimes it's hard. I think it's, is it impatient? It's, uh, no, I don't know that it's impatience. It's like, um, it's like self-righteousness a little bit, to be honest. That's honest. It's a little self-righteousness. It's like a little bit like, I'm, I don't know. And it's something I try to, to manage. And it's like a little bit of actually for me, not realizing when I'm kind of just like not making an effort to be kind when I feel irritated that it hurts other people's feelings. Because I think I know my own intention and how I feel towards people and feel towards the world and feel towards people I love and work with and are my friends, that they know they must know that I love them. And I'm just, you know what I mean? I'm just frustrated and I won't be in 30 seconds. But you, it's been hard for me, I think, sometimes, but I think dad was like this too, um, to like realize that like it hurts other people if you lose your temper. 
You know what I mean? That's very honest. Yeah. And very revealing. I think that's one of the things that I admire about you and many, many people admire about you. You're very revealing and very open and not afraid to just be who you are and say who you are. Yeah. Dad had like a very loud roar, which was scary sometimes. You know what I mean? And he also had um, hiding thing when he was angry and would pull away and be very, you know, controlling with his um, withholdingness, which is very difficult. And I'm not withholding. I don't do that. I'm not like a hider or withholder. I, that's not my style, but I definitely have some of the like aggressive, aggressive roaringness when I have um, complicated feelings or upset feelings or when I'm feeling triggered. And that is something that like, I definitely didn't have a great handle on when I was in my twenties or, or younger or my teens and, uh, something I try to work on now because, you know, you want to be like your parents in the good ways, but not really in the bad ones. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, I think about the word fierce. And so I think that word is actually very powerful because it means that you can be fiercely creative and fiercely mm. honest and fiercely open and on the other side of it, I tell everybody this, there's our strengths and on the underside of our strengths are the same thing as our weakness. Yeah. It's like, a, a, I tell people that too, that you say that because it's like essentially the same quality. It's almost like ridiculous to think that it wouldn't be, you know what <laughs> yeah, I mean? Exactly. Exactly. Well, this has been really fun. I can't wait to show you the menus. It's yeah, so I'm really funny excited to, to see, see this too. And you're going to see something of yourself in this. I found things like um, Kings Point Merchant Marine Academy. We um we used to oh, for a cool. while cooked for them. So this Whoa. was a whole menu for them. This was our whole party. I think it had oh flyers and flyers of That's different cool. foods Put this inside. On our Instagram. That's awesome. And all these newspaper articles. And then the first this is probably one of the first menus we ever made. It's like from a typewriter. It's oh a my typewriter. God, that is cool. So you guys and then are so I have cute. All the New York Times articles and all those things where there's a picture of your dad and me. This is a very funny thing. We were in the New York Times. It I was love actually that. a he highlighted picture. Track. And we had a lot of art in, in Love and Oven. And we had a, a Bruegel painting in the back. Wow. And the Bruegel painting was a medieval kitchen. So we're standing in the picture. And it looks like we're in the medieval yes, kitchen. Yes, it does. That's amazing. You know, I've always wanted to get that blown up, like, really big and put it in the house. Yeah. Because I'm so proud and of that. And your dad looks like Toulouse-Lautrec in this picture. He really And does. it says, Ethnic Delicacies for Many Tastes. And it's from the New York Times, Sunday, September 23rd. Interesting, 1979. So awesome. I want to briefly talk about something which really, where food and grief really comes into play in my life, which I know I've mentioned on the show before. But... My dad had cancer for like 10 years and at the beginning of his diagnosis, right before we hadn't been talking for several years, when I got in my near death accident, he didn't call me to see if I was okay, let alone come to see me. He sent a card like weeks later that said, get well soon, just dash dad. Um, And he could be really shitty like that. That's shitty. But in all fairness, he was married to someone who was at the time, who was not the greatest influence or greatest person. So it made things complicated. But they got divorced. And as soon as they got divorced, we started kind of talking again. And he was like, I have cancer. And he had moved down to North Carolina at that point. And as he kind of became progressively sicker and sicker, I mean, he still cooked for himself for a long time. But as something that I was influenced by Bobby doing for our you know, my grandma and her mom, Violet, through the years when Violet got older, I would go down and cook for my dad and fill the freezer with things. And I've written an essay about this 
Um, but there was some element of a me feeling useful because I didn't live close enough to him to just like go whip up dinner. So I was like, okay, well, I guess this is the best I can do. But also I would make huge portions of things because in my mind he had to live to eat all of them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, well, yes, I'll make yeah. 30 servings of lasagna, so he'll right, have to exactly. live to eat all of it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that's not how it works. You know, when he died, I like went through his freezer and there was still some shit that I had made that he had never eaten. And, you know, it was really hard. And I the, I wrote this essay about like the last thing I actually ever cooked from him for him was a roast beef sandwich because that's what he said he wanted and he ate it. He hadn't eaten anything in like a couple of weeks, really. And it was one single thing. And then he died the next day. It was just kind of an interesting. Are you going to read the essay now? No. Oh, I think okay. I've done enough re- oh, reading okay. of my own writing for one day. Okay. But, well, it's a beautiful um, essay. I love it. Thank you very much. Um, but uh, yeah, it was really complicated. And then, like I mentioned in the thing that I just read, like, you know, I remember mom, you came down to help me. Um, and we cooked for like a memorial and I figured there would be like, you know, 40 people that would come through and, and pay their respects. And three people came and I read this really personal eulogy and turned on, um, you can't always get what you want at the end of it. And it was so awkward because it was like these three people, one of them was his cleaning lady. but Zara what I remember of that which was four years ago right around this time was that the the ritual of us cooking because I helped you cook yeah we had to do that we couldn't it didn't matter if there was nobody to feed yeah there was so many leftovers what did we we gave them away but you know we had to do that as part of the ritual of healing for us yeah um, but we, I made all his, we made all his favorite things. We made meatballs and garlic bread and lasagna and, uh, all the things that if any of you are Zaza customers, you're used to having at Zaza, which is part of the reason I wanted to do that. And part of the reason I wanted to start Brucey. So your guys cooking is very much a part of my cooking. And, uh, I love thinking about dad's recipes. And it's funny because sometimes people don't get it. Like I find myself particularly at work and talking to the boys who I work with and they're so wonderful and great. And I love working with them. But like, you know, I find myself sometimes being like, okay, like I'm going to make this pea soup and getting so excited about it. I'm like, this is how my dad made it. They're like, uh-huh. Okay, cool. Yeah, this is good. And then but I'm like, but you don't understand. You know what I mean? And it's so yes. frustrating. And sometimes it like hurts my feelings, but then I have to remember they don't understand because they it's have not their, in their blood. They have it's their own dad's pea soup. Yeah. Do you exactly. know what I'm saying? Proverbially. Yeah, exactly. And that's hard sometimes. It's kind of the same thing about like sub, the nurses calling it the body. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yes. Like to me, it'll always be my dad. To me, it'll always be my dad's pea soup or yes. my dad's pizza rustico, which you fucking left out overnight. <laughs> and I had to throw in the garbage. You know what I mean? Or like yeah. my dad's this or like, don't, you know, don't cut the dill that way. That's not how my dad did it. And like, they're like, you know, other people don't understand. And that's okay. You know what I mean? It's okay. Actually, it's supposed to be that way. And it hurts sometimes. It's frustrating, but it actually just has to be that way. We can't possibly ever understand. Well, that's what I think about when we need the internal perspective is very important. But then we also need the external perspective Mm. and we need both at the same time. You know, we just have both at the same time. There's us and what's going on inside of us. And then there's the rest of the the world and the universe. So they're both true at the same time. Um, I feel really lucky, though, when I think about my 
I don't know how I have been able to integrate this grief into my life. I feel very lucky to have you. And I want to just say thank you very much because I know that like not everybody has that fortune and opportunity to like, and privilege, honestly, to be able to process their grief in that way. Like, you know, therapy sadly is like very expensive, you know, typically, I know there's different options sometimes, but, and so, and, and also it's been stigmatized and like it's, there isn't access to it in certain places. So there's a lot of people who have to like live with unprocessed grief for a long time. And like, it's not just as easy as saying like, oh, you just have to like process your grief and make it good and make it work for you. Yes, that's ideal. Right. But that also we have to recognize as a privilege. And I feel uniquely privileged to have you as my mom, someone who's like a grief and trauma therapist. And when the anniversary of dad's death came up the other day and I felt I missed him, but I didn't feel devastated by it. I felt really lucky and uh, really, really, really lucky that I had you as a support system. Um, And also that like I have the platform to be able to talk about it and write about it and connect with people about it. You know what I mean? And that also is a privilege. So thank you to you, mom, and to all of our listeners really for, uh, you know, giving me the space to unpack my own feelings around this. It's I feel very lucky for that. That's beautiful. Thank you, Zara. And what I was thinking is that you teach me about grief, just as all our um, guests teach us about grief and we teach by sharing our story. We each learn how to navigate. We just do because it's, it, this is universal. There is loss in our lives. It comes in the most unexpected ways and times and it's going to come. And so, um, we, we need each other to learn from each other. And I've learned so much from you. Um, just, you're so expressive and you're so honest and, um, more than most. And I really value that so much and your bravery. Oh, thank you. Well, similarly, I feel similarly. I feel about you. (laughs) I feel similar, similarly about you. I'm tired. (laughs) If you couldn't tell I'm trying, but I am tired. So I'm glad to be back on the air and, um, we look forward to the weeks coming with new guests and new ideas. And, um, for those of you listening right now, please, we love to hear your input. We would love to get letters from you. We would love for you to be our guests if you find this interesting. Um, it's just a conversation. And we and just as you listen to us talk and our guests, we'd love to talk to you. Absolutely. So and you can send that. us an email at processing at heritageradionetwork.org. But our the best way truly to get in touch is via Instagram. Um, and we are processing underscore podcast. Send us a DM and that's kind of a quicker, easier way to follow up. Um, and I'm saying that only because I handle our email correspondence and I actually have like four different email accounts that I have to check all the time um, for different like reasons and businesses and stuff. So it just, in all honesty, if you want to get in touch quicker, sending a DM on Instagram is definitely the easiest way. And we would love to hear from you. And I just want to say... Um, in closing, thank you for like giving me again for giving me the opportunity to talk about my dad because he was a really cool person. And also, I think it's okay if you have a family member, a loved one that you um, are mourning and missing. You know, like thinking about the whole picture of them doesn't make you love them less or miss them less. You know what I mean? If you know, yeah, like I said, my dad was kind of an asshole, and he wasn't always like super nice. And sometimes he was really did weird shit that I hurt my feelings. You know what I mean? But I still really loved him. 
And that's okay. You know what I mean? And I think also I just want to tag this on, particularly now acutely in this um, world we live in with uh, a very prevalent cancel culture. There is um, an inclination, I think, to think that people have to be wholly good to be accepted and liked. And I do not personally believe that. And I, of course, believe in holding people accountable who are, you know, lecherous and abusive. I think that goes without saying, but I'm just talking about cancel culture in general. I think, you know, in this present time, if somebody did something that is, you know, wasn't perfect, like my dad really wasn't perfect. And there's probably things that he did that were even more, who knows? You know what I mean? Like he wasn't a perfect guy and I still really loved him and you can do both. And that's, I guess what I'm trying to say. As Nora Ephron would say, it's complicated. <laughs> That's true. Did she say that? <laughs> yeah. I love Nora Ephron. Can we do a Nora Ephron episode soon? Okay. We'll let's have the do ghost it. of Nora Ephron. Guys, on. we love you, Zara. I love you. But wait, and... I just got started talking about Nora Ephron. <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about cabbage strudel. Um, yeah, I love you too, Mom. Okay. Oh, and one what? more thing. What? Two things. Oh, um, Two things, sorry. If we could give a message to the our younger selves about what we know now, what would it be? And what would we have for our feast tomorrow? Oh, okay, yeah. I can't believe we almost forgot this. Uh, what would you say to your younger self? I would say to my younger self what you started off the show with, which is to remember that everything keeps changing and that it's it's a phenomenon. You don't realize that I'm 70 now, and I realize how many times I thought the world was going to end, my life was going to end, and it, it didn't. It, it just keeps changing. So feelings change, and we change our perspective, and I believe in change. So that's what I would tell my younger self. Um, I would have told my younger self um, that you don't, and I, this is something I still tell my old self all the time, (laughs) my very old self, that you don't have to take responsibility for everything, for literally everything. You don't have to, you can't keep somebody alive with the amount of lasagna you put in their freezer. And you don't have to be responsible for calling somebody, you know, 80 times to save the relationship. And like, well, I'm glad I did. You know what I mean? Like with my dad who would like not answer the phone unless I literally called him a hundred times if we got in one tiny argument. Um, I'm glad I did, but you don't have to do that. Everything doesn't have to be your responsibility. You know what I mean? And that's something I still struggle with a lot, you know? And uh, it's interesting because sometimes you find yourself in relationship or romantic relationship, friendship, partnership, parent, child, ship, um, with someone who can't or won't pull their weight, right? And so that's hard. What do you do? And sometimes you end up pulling a little bit more because you're strong in one area and they're not. But I don't know. I just, I think I burnt myself out emotionally with doing that. And I still continue to do it all the time. But I definitely did it with dad. And I put a lot of, like, you know, I don't know. I found the times when I let go a little bit, I was able to enjoy it more. Like I used to be like, well, he's overweight. And like, so I'm going to like come up with a diet plan for him so he can move around. And so if he can move around, he can move back up to New York and we can spend more time together. And then like, he didn't do it. And I was like, so upset. And I was, you know, and I'm like, he didn't do it because he doesn't love me. And then like, you know what? He just didn't do it because he didn't do it. That's him. Why don't I just make him instead of making him kale smoothies, which he doesn't like, why don't I just make him macaroni and cheese? And he can just 
not be able to be in good shape and that's fine. And we'll be friends and eat macaroni and cheese together. And I was actually happier in those times. Our li- our lessons are lifelong. They're continued yeah. lessons, but it's good to remember what we would say to our younger self because we learn things along the way. Yeah. In terms of our feast, we are having a feast tomorrow um, to celebrate your birthday, which was a couple of weeks ago. And what are you going to bring? Tater tots. <laughs> no, come on. What are you going to bring? I'm bringing... Hidden Valley Ranch Dip. That's not a joke because I have a soft spot for Hidden Valley Ranch Dip uh, that I like to use ranch powder and but doctor it up a little bit. And I'm going to bring oysters uh, from Fishtails because they have nice um, British Columbian oysters. And I think I'm going to make spaghetti vongole, spaghetti with white clam sauce because I love that. And you're making... Excellent. And I'm going to make, I'm going to bring giant, giant shrimps for shrimp cocktail. I'm going to make Caesar salad. I make it with um, uh, pistachio nuts and, you know, shaved cheese and um, croutons. And then I'm going to make a bronzino with um, um, a sauce of um, anchovy and garlic and parsley and zest and stuff like that. And then um, Rob is going to make key lamb pie because you requested that. So that's our feast. That sounds so nice. I feel lucky for that. That is like a true feast. What a decadent assortment of things. Um, yeah, thank you for having me and having right. me. <laughs> Guys, we love you. I love you, Zara. Right Take back care. at you, Bobby. Love you too. Bye. Bye. Hi, I'm Kiki Luya, the executive director of Restaurant Workers Community Foundation, and I'm the host of a new podcast called Shift Work. In the last six months, some 6,500 restaurants have closed their doors, and there's never been a time when restaurants and their 12 million workers have been more vulnerable. It's time to transform hospitality. With Shift Work, a podcast made in collaboration with RWCF and HRN, We're shifting the conversation about how the restaurant food you love makes its way to the table. What does it really take to make that experience happen? And who are the countless workers responsible? We're talking porters, cleaning crew, prep cooks, servers, baristas, hosts, bartenders, barbacks, managers, sommeliers, and chefs. I'll also introduce you to organizations that are leading industry transformation. We'll discuss mental health, fair pay, racial justice, and how hospitality can change for the better. We need it. Listen to and follow Shift Work on your favorite podcast app. Thank you so much for joining us for Processing. We realize that sharing these types of deeply intimate stories on air is a very personal decision. We began this project as a way to connect our listeners through shared experiences and storytelling. We hope that Processing can be a platform for sharing, learning, and healing. We appreciate our guests' willingness to be vulnerable and value nothing more than making both our guests and listeners' experiences with our show positive and progressive. If you're interested in being a guest on the show or writing in a listener letter, please email processing at heritageradionetwork.org. Please follow us at processing underscore podcast on Instagram. Processing is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. 
Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click at the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.